Christmas is the time for lights, isn't it? It's one of the great hallmarks of the season, right? We decorate our Christmas trees with lights, a practice that at least goes back to 16th century Germany. We decorate our homes with lights. There are lights in our windows. There are lights often draped around our doors. There are lights lining our roofs. We decorate our communities with lights. So I trust many of you have been down to the Fayetteville Square or maybe the Bentonville Square for the lighting of those communities. And there is, of course, the lighting of the Christmas tree, right? The Rockefeller Christmas tree. This year, groups like Pentatonics were performing in front of, I think it was an 80-foot Norway spruce, weighed over 12 tons, adorned with over 25,000 lights, right? That event there officially kicked off the Christmas season in New York. Even uh, our family just this week toured the, the North Forest Lights up there at Crystal Bridges. A lot of fun, lots of people, festive, celebrating the light of the season. Because there's something about Christmas that is synonymous with light. Light that penetrates the darkness. Light that illumines. Light that warms. Light that offers life and light that offers hope. Friends, I don't think that's an accident. So if you would, if you have that worship guide, just flick back a page. Look there to page 12. Look to the bottom half there of of that section on John 1. Go ahead and turn there. Back on page 12, the bottom half that Cliff had read to us from John chapter 1. Because we open there in John 1, within the beginning was the Word. You know, it's interesting, John's gospel doesn't immediately begin with Jesus' birth. But instead, John's gospel begins much further back with the actual birth of the universe itself. Not only was Jesus there at the beginning, but we read in John 1 that Jesus was actually the creator there in the beginning with God, all things being made by him. And just as there was darkness in Genesis 1 and followed by that first creative act of light, so we read in verse 4 of John 1, In Him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right, according to John, Jesus is both light and life. Jesus will Himself say in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So friends, what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? That his ministry is defined by light? I think it reveals a number of things about Jesus and about his ministry. First, light, well, it does just that. Light reveals This is the first thing I want us to think about. Light reveals. It illuminates. So if you've ever attended a large event, maybe a sporting event like a basketball game, maybe you've been down to Bud Walton Arena, you know often before the start of the game, right, the lights, well, they go out. There's anticipation. There's expectation in the midst of that darkness. And then in that darkness, a light will pierce through. It will shine down. Maybe there are strobe lights that come down on the team, right, as the team takes the court. Or maybe if it's at a concert, right, the lights are out and then that light shines on that concert stage as the performer comes out to sing, usually much to applause, lots of applause, lots of fanfare. Friends, John is saying Jesus is creation's star. 
Jesus is the main performer on the world stage. He is the light that shines into this world's darkness. He receives. Jesus does all the fanfare, right? He receives in our readings. He receives all the applause. So, you know, at our births, now we, we weren't really there cognitively so much. We were there in baby form, but maybe there's a video of it. But at births, at our births, you know, our parents, well, they would celebrate. Exhausted mothers would cry out in exuberant joy, right? Petrified fathers are, are breathing a sigh of relief that everything has gone well. But at none of our births did a choir of heavenly hosts gather across the night sky and break out into angelic song like they did at the birth of Jesus. And as the light Jesus reveals, he reveals as we read through the Gospels, what does it mean to be truly made in the image of God? Right? His life and ministry revealed how men and women Rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, all alike possess equal value and dignity and worth. Jesus, as the light, reveals the glories of creation, right? From spiders to to supernovas, from, from the Grand Canyon to the Grand Tetons, all of these things. They're not some cosmic accident. They are part of Jesus as the creator. And we know that because as we work through the Gospels, what do we see Jesus doing? He's calming storms. He's giving sight to the blind. He's healing the lame, right? Only Jesus can do these things. Only he can fix what is broken because only he made it. And he reveals to us what God is like. You know, we all have our own notions of what God is like. You know, we think of God as, and then we fill in the blank. You have your version. I have my own version, perhaps, And maybe our notion of God, our notion of what pleases God or what displeases God, maybe that changes according to our present circumstances. Maybe it changes according to the cultural whims of culture and of the moment. Point being, though, none of us actually, in fact, naturally know God. John's saying we're in darkness. John says we know something about God given what God has made, but we actually don't know God fully and truly and intimately and personally, which is why Jesus has to come and reveal him to us. Jesus will actually say in John 8, you can only know God, the true God, if you know me, because only I truly reveal the God of the universe. Friends, those are remarkable claims. In John's writing in a, in a pluralistic context, much like our own, to people who looked for their own sources of light, people who pursued their own enlightenment projects, like many of us, those in John's day would have sought enlightenment through wisdom or through education. They would have sought it through rigorous moral codes or religious practices. They would have sought it and looked maybe to themselves and looked inward to their own inner light. They sought to be true to themselves, as we would say, following their passions, celebrating whatever their inner desires are. But John says true enlightenment, true light, he says, isn't found in any of those ways. It's not found within us. It's instead found outside of us, and it must come to us. Verse 9 of John 1, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And yet we go on to read verse 10, John 1, that though the world was made through him, 
it did not know him. Though he came to his own, verse 11, his own did not receive him. So though light reveals, yes, we see that. Light also, sadly, it repels. It repels. You know, every year it seems in our home, I don't know how it is in your home, every year we un- bring all the boxes from the attic down and we go to, we go to uh, adorn the Christmas tree, right? Decorate the tree and we get the tree all situated and set, make sure it's in its place. We unpack all the boxes and we get the ribbons and stuff wrapped around the tree and then we go to put on the lights and what happens? Yeah, there's always at least one strand of lights that doesn't work at all. It's like a grand conspiracy. They're on a timer somewhere in there. Every year they just turn off, they stop working. I don't know what it is. But this year my wife, it happened again, so she ran out to the store to get some more lights. And she got some lights and she came back. She's like, yeah, they don't have our old lights anymore. They have these LED lights. Yeah, we put them on. Well, what do you come to find? But some of those lights, I don't know what it is. You come at the right angle, you look at them, and there are these little lights, but they're blinding. You have to turn, almost turn your head away from the tree because light can have that effect. You know, if you've ever walked out of a movie, walked out of a theater, and into the bright summer sun, what happens? You've got to put your head down, often close your eyes. You want to walk back into the darkness because that light repels. Friends, that's the effect Jesus often had as the light of the world. Many, when encountering Jesus, were actually repelled by Jesus. And that's not how we tend to think of Jesus, is it, right? We think of the masses flocking to him. We think of all those who are overjoyed to hear from him, to learn from him, to be healed by him. We think and tend to think that if we ran into Jesus today, right, we would love his company. We would invite him over to our Christmas party. But that's actually not what you find when you read the Gospels. Jesus was hated more than he was ever honored. Hang around him long enough, and it seems the light of Jesus was, in fact, too much for people. Because Jesus was a master at revealing our own true natures, right? Through parables, stories, through probing questions, Jesus had this uncanny ability to expose us in our sin and our own hypocrisy. He had this way of revealing the darkness of our hearts, our impure motives, those careless words we speak, our deceptive deeds, he could see it all for what it was. There was no pretense, no pretending with this Jesus. He would see right through it, and it was that that we didn't like. Not only did we not like him for it, we in fact hated Jesus for it. Jesus will say in John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why is that? John writes, because their works were evil. You see, light repels. And it seems that there's this inverse relationship between how much people think of themselves and how much they think of Jesus. Meaning the more that we think highly of ourselves, the more we love ourselves and think highly of our own righteousness and our inherent goodness, well, the more that's the case, the less we will love Jesus, the more, in fact, we will harbor hatred for him and for his goodness and for his righteousness. Friends, it's why instead of being revered, Jesus was rejected. It's why instead of being worshipped, we would find him being whipped. Instead of crowds confessing him gloriously as their king, no, what do they do? They crucify him as a criminal. 
you know, it's appropriate if you think about it. At Jesus' birth, there was light at midnight. Middle of the night, glorious light with the birth of Jesus. And yet at his death, what was it but darkness at noon? And so humanity, right, left in the dark, groping about, stumbling, fearing, hurting one another, harming themselves, right? That's the world we live in. It's a world of darkness and a world of danger and a world of death because we have sought to extinguish the light of the world. Friends, that's all the bad news that we see. But the good news is though this light repels, it also redeems. It does redeem. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, if you want to know what the purpose of Christmas is, it's right there. Verse 12. In fact, verses 1 to 19 find their center right there. This whole prologue of John, if you keep reading, right there in verse 12. All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what Christmas is about. It's not eggnog. It's not eulogs, right? That's not finally it. It's about how we can become children of God. Now, I grew up being taught that everyone was a child of God. Every single soul. We are all universally, equally accepted by God. But just notice that's actually not what John is saying. John's saying we have to, in fact, become children of God. None of us are naturally children of God. No, we have to become a child of God. Because think about it. If we're naturally, if all of us are naturally born as God's children, then Jesus, in fact, didn't need to come. If we're naturally God's children, there is no need for Christmas. We shouldn't be celebrating what we're celebrating tonight, right? The very presence of Christmas is a reminder that we are not naturally God's children, And that is why Jesus came, light entering into the darkness of our own world. It's why Jesus took upon human flesh. It's why he lived perfectly. It's why Jesus would go on and die sacrificially. And if we keep reading, we'll also read that he rose victoriously so that if we believe upon this Jesus, if we look to this Jesus alone, if we cling to him, we can be saved by him. Politicians can't save us. Friend, your own piety can't save you. Only the person of Jesus can save. Only he is truly light and life. And that's why he came. Not merely to be our example, but he came as God's emissary. Not merely to show the way to God, but to secure our way to God. Christmas is this first movement in God's grand rescue mission to redeem the world. He, Jesus, is the light of the world, such that all who turn to him find life and light in him. Friend, have you done that? Would you do that this Christmas? Let's pray. Oh God, we give you praise that you have not left us in the darkness and in the mire of our own sin. You would have been just to do that. 
but you were also loving and compassionate. And so you sent your son so that we might become sons of you. God, we give you praise that you have loved us so. And we pray in this season that in some way, small or large, you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation and the marvel. We would marvel at the birth of Christ who came to save sinners. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.